you remember the response for the response or the psalm this morning? If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. That's from Psalm number 95. And I'm very familiar with that psalm because I pray it every single day. It's the, it is the invitatory psalm. It's the beginning of the liturgy of the hours. And, and when I became a, a, a deacon, when I was ordained a deacon, I made a promise to the bishop that I would pray every day for the people of God and for myself. And Psalm 95 is one of the psalms that I pray every day. And it's a beautiful psalm and it, and it includes this idea that God is speaking to us, to our hearts. You know, when we think of, if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart, it's, it's not the muscle. It's the deepest part of ourself. It's the core of our being. And God speaks into that place. We are his children. He is our father. We were made in his image and likeness. He has beautiful things to speak to us. And we need not harden our heart. And we can do that. There are many temptations and, and trials and weaknesses of the flesh that, that, that want, if you will, that kind of get in the way at times. And so we are reminded today that if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Now we go to the gospel, a new teaching with authority. Uh, the, uh, who's the author of our life? God is the author of our life and he has authority and he speaks with authority. Now it is very difficult or it's a great temptation for us to put Jesus into a box to like prescribe how big he can be. But God is beyond our capacities impossible even for us to limit who Jesus is and how he speaks. But there are things we can know. This is one of the, this is one of the truths of the incarnation is that God has made himself known to us in Jesus Christ. And he has given himself to us in this authority and concrete, practical, black and white, even common sense teachings that are consistent and timeless and reasonable, right? And he has authority to teach us to love God, to love our neighbor, to love ourselves. I said a few weeks ago, if you love somebody, you don't lie to them. If you love somebody, you don't cheat on them. If you love somebody, you treat them with kindness and respect. And these kind of fundamental truths that our Lord speaks with authority. But there's something in us that sometimes rebels against those things. That hardness of heart, that weakness of flesh. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a kind of a long detour here. But I'm going to come back to where I have been. And you're going to hopefully see that it all makes sense in the end. Okay, so just allow me to go off on my detour so a few years ago, I turned on the television and on the television, there was a debate and the debate was between an atheist and a 
Christian, a Catholic apologist, and they were at a university campus. And as I turned the television on, it just happened to be that's what was on. And I watched it for a couple minutes, it got my attention. And then all of a sudden the audience erupted in laughing and hoots and clapping and whistling. And I thought, what is this? This is like, this is a academic debate on a college campus between an atheist and, a, and a, an apologist. And it's like a sports contest. What are they cheering about? And it kind of got my attention. And so I paid a little bit closer attention to what was being said. And the atheist had made a, a good point. He had scored. If you want to do the sports analogy, he scored and his team, his side, they were elated. They were happy. And as I was watching this, I was curious. I was like, I had thought a lot in my life about atheism. A lot. I have asked these questions. Why do I believe? You know, what is the point? And I, I mentioned celibacy at the beginning of mass. When a 20 something year old man feels himself called to celibacy, he's thinking, is there even really a God, you know? I'm looking for any door out of that. So I have asked these questions. I have looked into that deep and long. And so when I heard them laughing and hooping and hollering and clapping and whistling, I thought, for what? For nothingness? For nothingness? Because that's what atheism is, is ultimately life is meaningless and pointless. It's nothing. So I start to ask myself, why, why were they inspired to hoop and clap and holler and whistle? Not that life is pointless or life is meaningless, that there's no God, there's no heaven, there's no justice, there's no love. That's not why they were laughing and hooping and hollering. They were laughing and hooping and hollering because they could absolve themselves of all sin because there is no sin. They would be their own God. And that was invigorating on this college campus. And then I, I gave them the bit of the doubt and I thought because I studied St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Thomas Aquinas says that we can't choose evil for evil's sake. Now that's, a, that's kind of a, one of those philosophical things you gotta chew on a while. That we are attracted to the good. We were made in the image and likeness of God and we are called to the good. And so we are drawn to that which is good. So if we are drawn to something, we see the good in it somehow. So we don't ever choose evil for evil's sake. But we can be confused and choose evil because we're wrong. And so I thought they just think they see something good there. They think they see something good there. And I thought about C.S. Lewis, and I read C.S. Lewis's autobiography. And if you've not heard of C.S. Lewis, he's a great Christian author and apologist. And C.S. Lewis wrote the story of being raised in a Christian home, but 
as he was raised in a Christian home, as he reached adolescence, he abandoned his Christian faith because he felt constrained by the morality of Christianity. So he became an atheist for many years. And then he found himself drawn back to faith. And his, the name of the book that I'm thinking of is called Surprised by Joy. And as he came back to faith, he was surprised by the fact that as he embraced his Christian faith, his life was filled with joy, a joy that was absent to him as an atheist when he was his own God. When he was his own God. And so all of this, I'm thinking as I'm watching this quick segment, so I'm flipping the channels. So why were they hooping and hollering? They were, there was no sin, there was no guilt, they could define good and bad. And then shortly thereafter, I read this article by Bishop Robert Barron, and I'm going to paraphrase the article for you. I'm going to read part of it. A few years ago, several years ago now, in London, they were putting these big placards on the sides of buses. And these big placards on the sides of buses, it was an atheist campaign. And it said, the bad news is there is no God. The good news is you don't need God. And so there was this campaign. It was like evangelical atheists were pushing their agenda of atheism. And when Robert Barron encountered that, the good news is there's no God, he was moved to write this article. And he talked about halfway through the 20th century, so 75 years or so ago, we had, a, we had this kind of rise of this existential atheistic philosophy in Europe. And Jean-Paul Sartre and the philosophers that were with him argued vigorously against the existence of God. But as they argued vigorously against the existence of God, they saw a deep sadness and an emptiness in that reality. They sensed that there's something that exists in the human heart that longs for meaning and nothing in this world can satisfy it. And they ultimately pronounced that life is meaningless or absurd. Now they were existentialists and an existentialist, forgive my use of big words this morning, is that by their existence, they define what is real. Whatever meaning is in life is that which they choose. That's the, the, the ultimate reality of existence is that they define meaning in life. If you will, might makes right. If I can do it, I can do it, and I will do it. And this philosophy they were clear-eyed to appreciate the horrible tension that that sets up between I define all that is meaningful in my life, but then there is no eternal beauty. There is no eternal embrace. They, they denied God by definition, but at the same time they recognized that they needed God for a life that would be complete. And they were saddened by their atheism. And so C.S. Lewis is saying these people that have this kind of flippant attitude of, yay, there's no God, whistle, cheer, clap. They're not looking deep into the pool. They're only looking at the surface. 
And so, my brothers and sisters, in the Bible, we can see a way past atheism. We can struggle with the very challenges that John Paul Sartre struggled with. If you read the book of Job, if you read many of the Psalms, if you read the Lamentations, you will find people struggling with the difficulties and challenges of life and how it doesn't always add up and it doesn't make sense and it seems to hurt so bad. Where are you, God? And all of those challenges are found in the Bible. And maybe the, the highest example of this is in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in e Ecclesiastes, we, we have this guy, he's the king, Quaheleth. And the book of Ecclesiastes begins, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And he has lived his whole life. He's achieved it all. He's been the king, he's had deep friendships. He's explored the wisdom of the ages. He's built palaces and gardens. He's had sexual delight. He has wielded power. But he sits on his throne and he looks back on it all and he says, it's all like wind. It's nothing. It's nothing. But he doesn't go into the despair of Sartre. He turns to God and he seeks God and he finds God. And if today you hear his voice, what? Harden not your heart. God is calling us in the midst of a world that is rapidly turning its back on him. God leads Quaheleth, the king, to seek him, to confess his name, to look beyond the goods of this world to the supreme and transcendent God. And if we mature, we will have an aching sense of incompleteness in our lives that we recognize that God alone can fulfill. And if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. As God calls us, we were made for more. Now the world we live in today, and I speak to you all gathered here this morning for mass, I know. Not an atheistic congregation, I know. But we can become practical atheists. We can become practical atheists in that we look to the world and its distractions to satisfy us, not to the depth of our relationship with God. You know, God calls us to make him first and absolute and the ultimate priority in everything and in every way that we must put God above all things and recognize that there is the way, there is the truth, there is life, there is authority. God is calling us. He's calling us to something good. We hear in the Old Testament, I know the plans I have for you, for your welfare and not for your woe. This call to holiness. Have you heard that? If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. A radical, transcendent holiness that puts everything in the world second. And now I come now to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and St. Paul's words. And again, we have to understand them in context. Paul says to you, and he says to me, I would like you to be free of anxiety. An unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. 
But a married man is anxious about the things of the world and how he may please his wife, and he is divided. And he says, I'm not telling you this to put a restraint on you, but for the sake of priority. Now, Jesus speaks with authority, and that authority sometimes challenges us. Yes or no? And some people, in the face of the voice of God's authority, turn their back on him in a radical way. And that puts them on the path to either atheism or a kind of practical atheism where God is over there and I'll live my life and I'll check in with him every now and then. But God is calling us to put him first in a way that sometimes, sometimes is incredibly challenging. So my brothers and sisters, I mentioned this whole reading on celibacy for a couple of reasons, one of which is just to make sure that you know it wasn't something the church just made up. You know, the church just didn't make this up, okay? That it's there in the scripture. But also that we are all called, not necessarily to celibacy, but to a radical reprioritization of our life where God is the authority. So my brothers and sisters, I, I say to you, if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. He is a father that speaks to his children who are made in his image and likeness. And the very core of our being is to be like God. And he is calling us into that place. Don't harden your heart to that call.